Hi there. My name's Andrew Kays, and I'm the pastor at Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church of Paynes Point. That's in rural Oregon, Illinois. You're about to hear me preach. Now, this episode was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, during which time public worship has been disrupted. We don't have it every Sunday. Therefore, all sermons have been recorded ahead of time to make them available online. The preached texts are included in the audio of this episode, but you can still find a link to them in the episode description. Unless otherwise noted, all scripture is NRSV, used under the gratis policy of the copyright holder, the National Council of Churches. Our first reading comes from Genesis, the first chapter. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Here ends the reading. Our second reading comes from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. Let me apologize, I guess, right up front for bringing yet another sermon with some dry educational matters. (laughs) I try not to do that so blatantly two weeks in a row. And this week it feels even strange anyway because of the tumultuousness of the week, but according to some, these are very, very important themes. In fact, I had a seminary professor very boldly claim that you cannot understand half of what's going on in the Gospels if you don't have an understanding of this stuff, how chaos and these cosmic conflicts and these themes come up throughout the Old Testament. So to give a specific Example, we often get very focused in on God at odds with sin, death, and the devil, and we forget chaos on that list. Even though some things that manifest as sin and death, or we identify them as sin, are sometimes, maybe even often, really chaos at their core. And Genesis gets at this, and you may not realize that the very first verses of Genesis are actually quite subversive. 
The creation story here parallels the Enuma Elish, that was the Babylonian Empire's religion's creation story. There's differences, of course, but there's parallels. So in their story, uh, the Babylonians have Marduk, that's their name of the good god, defeating Tiamat, that's a dragon standing in for chaos and death, the, the bad god. And there's an actual battle, a struggle there, that leads to existence as we have it. Now, I'm way, way oversimplifying, of course, but that's okay. The important bit here is that the Hebrew word for sea here in Genesis is tamar. But that's a rarely used word for the sea, and it happens to be cognate with Tiamat. It's the same root. So when we read in English, the Spirit of God was moving above the waters, what they read and heard in the Hebrew in the ancient world was, again, way more subversive. It was them thumbing their noses at the Babylonians. Rather than their hero Marduk struggling and fighting with Tiamat, Genesis says the Spirit of God was already above Tamar. And kind of like we saw last week, the Jewish position here is on creation is there was no real conflict. God won before it began. Chaos is still there. It's represented by the primordial sea, but there's no moment in here at which God struggles. It's not like God could have lost. And again, we sometimes focus in on one thing here. We tend to think of this as just creation out of nothing. We see God speaks, and then this appears, and that appears, and stuff kind of comes out the way it is now. And then there's a layer we sometimes miss. See, God isn't just bringing things into existence. God is also putting what exists into order. It's not just that light appears, but then day and night have their bounds set. And then the sun, the moon, and the stars mark those boundaries. It's not just that land appears, but shorelines are set. The sea is pulled back. It's restricted to certain areas. We begin with God's spirit, already victorious over chaos. And then the result is chaos being restrained such that life can spring forth and such that God can call it good. Step by step, the world, its creatures, including us, God calls it good. So creation starts with the attention. Things are good when chaos is in check, when it's controlled, when it's put to order, but God, already victorious, permits it to continue existing. It must have some purpose, at least for a time. Okay, so let's carry those ideas to the gospel and see if they don't, in fact, double our understanding. We have the water, the sea, Tamar, the conquered chaos with a purpose right there from the start of Genesis, and we start uh, Mark off with a river. There's John, and then along comes Jesus, baptizing and being baptized. Now, ritual cleansing with water wasn't new. Jewish people had done that. They didn't call it baptism, but they had done the cleansing for a thousand years. It's even brought up in Leviticus. However, it had at that point been associated with the temple, that whole you need to be ritually clean to do certain things in or around the temple. Why? Well, that's something else we've looked at in recent months, uh, because you had to be ritualistically pure in order to safely approach the presence of God. The closer you are, the more dangerous, the more important it becomes. John the Baptist, in his work as a forerunner for Christ, goes out and prepares the people, individuals, but the people, for Christ's presence. Jesus comes and is baptized and then commands us to do baptizing. It's much later in the story, but we're to go baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we've mixed the metaphors. The sea represents chaos and death, and yet water is there to cleanse. 
if that weren't enough. The literal translation of baptize is something like immersion, but it could also just mean covering with water. Let's mix in another metaphor. Why not? (laughs) This time a contemporary one. Jump into the deep end. That's dangerous, right? Reckless even. In our well-structured world with our straight lines drawn, our concrete pools, lifeguards on duty, and we still know submerging ourselves into deep water can be unwise. And yet that's the call. The mixed metaphor has to be held in tension here to fully understand what's going on with Jesus' baptism and by extension our own. Okay, last week we had the wise men epiphany, Jesus is revealed to the world, but here in the baptism, the Christ is revealed to the Jewish people. He's revealed by jumping into the deep end, the start of the story in a sense. God becomes incarnate, born in human form. That's one move toward us, toward humanity, toward a relationship, but into the sea. That's into chaos, and it implies into death. It's not a coincidence that Jesus will call his own death a baptism. I feel like I'm getting into the weeds a bit, (laughs) trying to get these metaphors sorted out and boil down a thousand years of tradition or more into a couple hundred words. In case that angle's not connecting at all, let me try it a bit different, a bit more personal. Jesus is baptized, right? And then calls us to baptize, to be baptized and baptize others. And that's huge. It's Jesus acting in that. And it means all the things you usually hear about. Getting baptized means the forgiveness of sins, welcome into the body of Christ, the family of God, eternal life, the Holy Spirit, and it means jumping in to the deep end. It means that we Christians don't get to go run off and live in ivory towers. We're called out of the orderly, well-partitioned places, past the shoreline, out of our safety into chaos and death. The baptism of Jesus will have its parallels with other important points in the story, the transfiguration, but also the crucifixion and the resurrection. It's his first step in public ministry and therefore his first step toward the cross. So that can be a rough wake-up call, that our call as Christians to suffer for the sake of others, that began even with something as beautiful and sacred and peaceful as baptism. Now there's good news in there too, Jesus' baptism isn't exactly like ours, but it does serve as a model for understanding ours. At his baptism, a voice called out and said, this is God's son, this is the beloved. God the Father loves Jesus. So, lest you thought water was the only parallel here, we have the account from Genesis 1 echoing out into the gospel and from there into our own lives. At the moment of creation, what did we hear? God saw and separated everything, right? Saw humanity called us good. In baptism, cleansed of our sin, repentant, intent on a life toward God, it should come as no surprise. It should be no secret what God might call you in that moment, that you, who are good, are indeed beloved. You are loved by God. Now, you may be called into the deep. You will be. Chaos will have its day, Sin, the death, and the devil will take their toll, but you don't go into the sea alone. There's no baptism in a vacuum. There's no baptism unto oneself. Baptism is immersion into the rest of the world, warts and all. And in that immersion, God calls you good, and God calls you beloved. 
the call won't always be easy, but you will never be alone in the deep. Amen. Thanks for listening. I pray God spoke to you in some way. A quick note at the end here, which you can skip if you've heard it before. The audio of my sermons does not always include proper citations. While I do some self-study and lean on my seminary education, I also lean on my colleagues with whom we have a regular text study. I also use Luther Seminary's Working Preacher website and their podcast, Sermon Brainwave. Some credit is due to at least one of those sources. Wherever you are, whenever you hear this, please be well. Take care of yourself and each other, and have a great rest of the week.